You got a problem with me? Huh? No, you got a problem with me. What's the matter with you? Are you judging me? Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. Episode 14. We are still in the trilogy of my people. This episode is brought to you by Inevitable Contact. Sorry. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Inevitable Conflict and all that can come up when you're dealing with your people. It's inevitable. We have a special guest in the studio today. It's actually our first guest in the studio, and it happens to be my wife, Beth. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We couldn't think of a better person to talk about conflict. No, sorry. Uh, no, there's there's lots there's there's lots I'm, I'm that she can down. add to the contribution. Excuse me, she can contribute to the conversation. Absolutely. And this whole concept of people and money, and the way we've talked about in other episodes, you had this absolute fury to make more money so you could take care of your people. Right. What ended up happening over time was that it started to not just impact those relationships with your people, it started to actually ruin them. Yeah. There's a lot of emotional pain right now with money, with everything that's going on in the world, and people are confined to their homes. There's a lot more togetherness than there has been in a long, long time. I think part of what we should really get into is how do I deal with that conflict or the criticism for another very important person in my life and the hostility and the controversy? The greatest relationship killer of all time is resentment. And I wonder if there's a lot of resentment starting to build up with all the shelter-in-place stuff going on right now. Well, I mean, you see, you see it. I mean, I see it on social media with people that are crying to do away with the shelter-in-place and you should go to the beach and you should go out to dinner and all, all that stuff. I don't, I don't really want to go there. Yeah. But that killer is resentment and all the conflict that can come from having too much money or not enough money and the impact that your relationship with money has on your people. So I think this is really timely yeah. and it's very powerful stuff. And I think we just, I just jump right in. I mean, conflict is absolutely inevitable. I mean, you can try. And I know I've, I grew up in a household where there was a tremendous amount of conflict in a very short period of years. It was sure. around the first few years my dad was starting his business. And I know I come from a mindset of trying to eliminate conflict. But that's not really healthy. 
that's not really natural. But it was just my mechanism to deal with the conflict that was going on within my family. I'm sure a lot of people where there's a lot of conflict going on in their families right now. Why don't we just jump in and start with that concept of just conflict avoidance? And Beth, by all means, don't hesitate to uh, to chime in. Yeah, conflict avoidance is uh, is what I try to be a part of every day. I, I really try to avoid conflict because for me in my life, it's never really been a healthy thing. And and when I talk about conflict, I'm not talking about disagreement. I think just if we could take a minute to just differentiate a little bit between disagreement and conflict. I, I want to order the orange chicken. Well, I want to order the General Cho's chicken. Yeah. So, you know, why don't we just order both? See, there we avoided the conflict. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a disagreement that didn't become conflict because we could agree on something. We could compromise. What I'm hoping to accomplish in this conversation is by looking at this concept of, of conflict and how that can lead to what I believe is the number one killer of relationship, of human connection, is this idea of a resentment. If we can avoid that, if we can deal with that, if we can learn how to resolve that, if we can learn how to handle that, and avoid that resentment, then I think you and I are taking one step closer to our mission of creating more human connection as the centerpiece of wealth. Couldn't agree more, because you shared a concept with me a number of years ago, and this is a great visual for a podcast. One of your mentors was uh, walking with, a, was it a Maasai elder in Africa? Oh, yeah, Richard Leiter. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about Richard. And the whole concept of Richard had this 70-pound backpack full of stuff. Right. And this Maasai el- Maasai elder, yeah, he, I don't was, he get... was he was a Maasai elder. His name was Koye, okay, and he was the leader of a group of Maasai in in Central Africa. They were out on a walk, a, a backpack trip, a, a kind of a soul searching trip, is what Richard was doing. He had an eighty four pound backpack. Koye was walking with a stick and a water bottle, and at the first break, Richard pulls the backpack off his back. Oh, my God, that's so heavy. It's so exhausting. And Koye looks at him and says, Richard, does all that stuff make you happy? And that was like the Tommy Boy 2 by 4 smash in Richard's face. Because what he started doing at that point was realizing how much extra junk he had been carrying in his backpack, and it became this light of life for him, where all of a sudden now he started pulling all this stuff out of the backpack. He and Koye were ripping through the backpack and throwing out all the non-essential stuff that he didn't need. And when he put the backpack back on, an 84-pound backpack was 65 pounds lighter. He eliminated two-thirds of the stuff he had been carrying around, and it became this incredible analogy to his life. It really got him thinking about his life and all the stuff. As, as we walk through life, we keep shoving this stuff in our backpack. Did he have to call like the 800 people to come pick up the, the junk in the middle of Africa, or could he just leave it there? I think he just left it there for the lines that you on. Okay. Yeah. But it became this big analogy for life, and, and he wrote a whole training program on this idea of unpacking and repacking your bags with only the essentials. You just described my wedding day. Oh, do tell more. Because my wife was standing at the altar with a walking stick and a bottle of water, and I had an 84-pound <laughs> backpack of every, of every memento piece of paper and everything you can think Let, of. Let's be clear. You still have that 84-pound backpack. Well, it's 184 pounds. Costco gave – they had bigger ones, so I bought a bigger one. There's, there's like oh, – there's a whole wall shelves in our garage of all those 84-pound backpacks that you – Yeah. Well, he's one of the most sentimental people in the he's world, and he keeps everything. Absolutely. And I, I am not. And – 
therein lies, the, which is one of my most favorite times of the year. I think it's like three times a year. I call it Big Trash Night. And it's you take all of your CRAP out of your house that you want to get rid of, and it's an opportunity to purge. So how do you deal the, with that? That's the physical. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? Not so well. Okay. Not so well. So does I mean is this does this cause conflict for the two of you, or is this more of a disagreement that you've figured out how to live with? Not no mo. No? No, I let it go. Oh. That was the, the visual of the little bird flying up. Now, I'm partly just having a little fun with everybody here, but I, I struggle. I really do. I'm getting much better at letting some of the physical stuff go. I've gotten much better at letting some of the emotional stuff go. I was on the phone the other day with my dad, and he was asking me about a conflict that I had with a person. You know, he was saying, don't you want to hang on to that? Oh. And in not using the backpack, I used my wagon. So let's go back to the little red wagon that a lot of people had when they were kids. I got a red radio flyer in my backyard Thank right you. now. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's probably a planter. Mm-hmm. And I said, Dad, if I put everything in my wagon, I couldn't, I couldn't leave my house. So at the emotional level, I think that's really important when you're talking about conflict resolution is you, you can't take every little thing with you, every little wrong that somebody has done to you. We talk in our planning process about the bag of crap analysis, right, and how everybody comes in with all their financial papers in a box or a bag. Or <laughs> It'd be kind of fun if they came in with a wagon. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you got to shake that thing out and empty it out every once in a while. Yes. This episode is being recorded just a couple of days after Mother's Day. And since we have my wife here with me in the studio today, one of her very favorite things to do on Mother's Day is clean the garage. A purge day? Yeah. And, and I and don't— my- and my birthday. I, I don't stutter, so I will repeat that. She likes to clean the garage. Well, it sounds like there's a couple purge days a year. We obviously need a third one because big trash people come three times a year. So let's go with Father's Day or the 4th of July. Oh, yeah, like you'd be into that for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. But it's something that... Again, we, we can talk about this at multiple levels, and, and let's just first talk about conflict avoidance. I like to think about this in that if conflict is presented to me, if someone in my family, if you, if any person, you know, last episode we talked about these different concentric circles of relationships. So if someone in my inner circle, because that's really who I care about when it comes to conflict for the most part, that's the place I want to try to avoid conflict at all costs. You're Yet, just not going to smile and nod politely? Correct. Well, <laughs> That's the place that conflict happens the most. Right. That's where it's the most painful. For my inner circle, it's all about conflict avoidance. I love the analogy you used for this. Which one? The jumping one. Oh, jumping in the cage. Yeah. Uh, come on. Jumping in the gorilla cage. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, con- conflict for me is the equivalent of jumping into a gorilla cage. And if I'm going to jump into that conflict, I'm going to get cut. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get beat up a little bit. So I have a choice to make. If conflict is presented to me, if somebody's trying to push my buttons, trying to create conflict, I have a choice to make. Do I want to jump in that cage? Example, my son Lucas came to me several weeks ago when all this distance learning thing was was rolling out. He said, Dad, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this online learning crap. Did you know, did you know that less than 3% of students in the state of California are participating in distance learning, Dad? Did you know that? 
I, I could have very easily jumped in the gorilla cage with him and invitation. said, "Yeah, he gave invitation. He, it was an invitation to conflict. Invitation to conflict has arrived in your inbox. Exactly. And I could have very easily looked at him and said, "Dude, you're absolutely wrong. That is not true. Where did you read that? And I don't care what the statistics are. You're going to do your work." And is that the mushroom cloud? That's the mushroom cloud over my house in Rockland, California. Because I didn't think gorilla sounded like that. No, oh, that was a mushroom cloud. Definitely not a gorilla. <laughs> Lots of acronyms for this. Yeah. I love your acronyms for this. Well, I mean, the first acronym... HALT. HALT. Who goes there? HALT. What does that mean to me? HALT is an acronym to me that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. HALT. I, I didn't create any of this. This is, this is what's been taught to me. But when Lucas comes to me with a comment like that, where, or, or anybody in my life... HALT. The very first thing I tell myself is... Halt. Before I speak, halt. Because if I'm hungry, if I'm angry, if I'm lonely, or if I'm tired, chances are whatever's going to come out of my mouth next will not be very kind. It's time to walk away very slowly from the wild wildebeest. Yeah. Walk away very, very carefully. With your mouth shut. Yes. Zip it. The idea of jumping in the gorilla cage when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired only results in people getting hurt. There's nothing productive that can come from a conversation. Any conversation, whether someone is trying to create conflict with me or literally somebody's just asking me a question. If I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, I need to keep my mouth shut. I need to rectify one of those four things that I might be feeling right now before I engage in that conversation because it's not very productive. So by this point in your inner circle, do they know the five minutes a day when you're not haltish? It's more like three minutes a day. Three minutes, okay. Yes. Good. Yes. Well, the only person who needs to know when that is is me because I'm the one who's in charge of opening and closing my mouth and speaking. So maybe what we should do in our family, we've got four, four children who are all under one roof right now, somewhat involuntarily, involuntarily. Maybe we should have a sign. We should have a halt sign. And we can turn it like, you know, the dishwasher's clean or dirty. We could make them. There could be a little craft project tomorrow. Sure. <laughs> and a halt. halt. Halt yeah. signs? Yeah. Yeah. Or you have to, like, slide the thing over that says, I'm H. Well, since I'm you, hungry. Since you've got four children at home, we've got multiple acronyms that we're going to share today. So maybe each one of your children can wear a unique sign with their own acronym. Now, wait just a second. <laughs> wait is my next acronym. And again, I didn't create this stuff. This is what's been taught to me. Because conflict has been such a huge part of my life. It was such a huge part of the financial train wreck that I was and how that affected my relationships with people. There was a lot of conflict there. And so coming out the other side, there had to be healing from this. There had to be ways, new ways to deal with conflict that weren't as hurtful as they were then. So that's one tool for conflict avoidance. You said, wait, that's the next one. Are you, think, are you, are you saying I'm fat? <laughs> Don't go there. W-A-I-T. Oh, W-A-I-T. Right. Okay. Right. There's no there there. Gotcha. Yeah. W- I didn't have Chick-fil-A today, okay? That was a few episodes ago. (laughs) Did you have kale today? (laughs) Thank God, no. (laughs) WAIT is another acronym that helps me avoid conflict. WAIT stands for, why am I talking? WAIT. Wait a second. Pause. WAIT. Why am I talking? It's just a little self-check I do after HALT. And if there's no good reason for me to talk, I'm generally going to keep my mouth shut to avoid my conflict. I'm just waiting. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Why are you talking? (laughs) 
Exactly. I felt the pregnant pause. Yeah, but you know, when we're when we're doing this, we have to have conflict. Conflict is fun. It's what our listeners want. True. We'll get there eventually. Okay. I get I get halt. Love it. I'm just gonna call it Beth. <laughs> B-E-T-H. Would you like to call Jim Waite? Why am I talking? I'm not gonna go there. Okay. And I get Waite. The next one I really like. It just it takes a little work for me. Everything we talk about in these episodes, <clears throat> all of these exercises, everything about financial sobriety is a process and a journey of learning different mindset, different behaviors. And just like anything we're trying to change in life, it takes time. It takes practice over and over and over. You know how long it took me to memorize this kind of stuff? This didn't all happen the first time somebody said to me, hey, I got an acronym for you. It's HALT. It's WAIT. And the third one is THINK. To remember all of this stuff, to be able to use these tools. We're throwing it all out here in a 30 or 40-minute podcast sure, episode. Sure, sure. These are years in the making. These are things that have taken years of practice, years of hard work. Think, think is another pause mechanism. All three of these acronyms for conflict avoidance, it's all about pausing. And this is something we, we talk about all the time. Pause. Let's slow this train down a little bit before we react to what's happening in front of us. Let's pause so that we can respond and try to avoid conflict. So I think of this as kind of level one, level two, level three. Yes. Almost like in... Codes. There's a code one, code two, red, code red, all that, you know, orange, red, green, blue. This is not easy stuff. It's simple stuff. Again, that I think simple is acronyms, but it's not easy stuff. Again, it requires practice. It requires intentional behavior. Level three is this idea of think before I speak. Think before I speak. That's not something new. We've heard that before. Have you both heard that before? I think so. You were probably thinking before you just said that. You think? Think, of course, becomes an acronym. Is what I would like to say true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I'm tired. By this point, the conflict, the conflict's probably over because I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at all the time. We're, we're putting said anything. No. We're, well, we're putting all this time into— I'm waiting to say something for crying out loud. How long does a Major League Baseball game take? Four days. Right. How much baseball is actually played in those four days? Four minutes. Exactly. We are spending hours and hours and hours of time to prepare for something that could be over in 10 seconds, Mr. Thinker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What you just said is kind of true. We're spending all this time and the conflict is already over. Beautiful. Generally, if it's not true, if it's not helpful, if it's not important, if it's not necessary or it's not kind— what purpose does it serve to come out of my mouth other than conflict? Those sound like great reminders of something my mother would have said to me. If it's not true, if it's not helpful, if it's not important, if it's not necessary, if it's not kind. Don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. Yeah, this is not rocket science stuff, but it's stuff that I need to write down and keep front and center in front of me or conflict is constant. And for me, conflict avoidance is paramount in my life right now. As we said at the onset of all these episodes, is that we're trying to give people tools. We're trying to build a toolbox full of different tools that they can use in different circumstances. Absolutely. I think here in the conflict avoidance category, halt, wait, and think are three very, very powerful tools. Yes. And no different than after you run to your favorite hardware store and buy a tool. 
before you come home and use it, it takes a little practice. Absolutely. Right? Before you put the tool actually into use on repairing a deck, building a jewelry box, whatever it is. I don't know why I looked at Beth for building a jewelry box. Do you need a new you, jewelry he's box? He's never built me a jewelry box, by the way. How I about a humidor? Has he built you a humidor? I got something no, to do this weekend. What I think is so interesting is these concepts are, are very important and the idea of the practice. And the thing that is overwhelming to me is that these are life skills. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about them in relation to financial sobriety and all that. But these are really things that need to be taught to our children in schools. And granted, as parents, we can also be teaching these these tools to our kids. They're all homeschooled now. That's true, actually. So it's you and me, kid. I, that, you're right. That's yeah. a good point. I need to add that to my uh, Why don't you think COVID, about that next time? My, my no. COVID uh, routine. <laughs> but it just, this, because like you said, conflict is inevitable. Beth, you started going down the road of conflict resolution. These acronyms are designed to help us avoid conflict, but sometimes we use these, but yet we still find ourselves in conflict, Right. where it's as simple as there's one basketball, and there are two of us who would like to play with it. How do we then, if wait, halt, and think don't work, how do we then start going about conflict resolution? Now, it could be as simple as Rochambeau, but what do we need? What, what needs to be there for two children or two people? Or in some cases, two business partners that disagree on a, on a decision that needs to be made. How would we resolve that conflict? We could do something like Rochambeau or flip a coin. What's in the room that allows you to let me eat the basketball? A gorilla. What's the T word that's in the room? And we've talked about this in previous episodes. It's part of the epicenter of human connection. We're talking about our inner circle. We're talking about trust. eliminating the trust the gap. Trust gap. Yeah, that, thank you. So... If we're talking about our innermost circle here on the concentric circles, and we've been going through this epicenter of wealth module where we're creating trust and we're maintaining trust, then part of where conflict resolution comes in is is we have to have that trust that I trust you that if you get to eat the basketball this time, it's okay. Or in a serious situation, you and I have a business decision to make. I disagree with that business decision. Right. But I trust you have our best interest at heart. And even though I don't fully agree with the decision, because I trust you, I'm willing to, okay, this time we go with what you want to do. And maybe next time we go with what I want to do. But the trust has to be there. This next concept is is one of my favorites. You, you've really helped me with this. So I think if you're looking at the concepts of halt, wait, and think, you could use this question as the primer. You've got the question of, am I jumping into the gorilla cage or not? I'm going to be halting and waiting and thinking. But then you refer to this question that I really, I really, really like. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? Because when there's conflict, I can't be both. So in our house, I think it's fair to say of the six of us, we have some pretty strong-willed individuals. And there's a very strong tendency in our house for our people to want to be right. So this concept of, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? So you've got conflict in the room. And if I'm going to go to loggerhead, I mean, I, I, watch my, I watch my kids do this on a daily basis. Sure, me right? too. This is a critical question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? You can't be both. And I think like everything we're doing, it's about repetition. It's about practice. It's about saying it in our families with our children because your family's not unique in this case. We have the same stuff going on in our family dynamic where everybody wants to be right. And we just have to consistently remind ourselves that question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? 
I love sitting in bed at night for a half hour before I go to sleep. I play words with friends with my mom. And then I sit there and think about my day. And I kind of hot wash my day. Oh, yeah. It just I, takes a half hour? Yeah. Oh, Sometimes okay. less. About 20 minutes of words with friends, 10 minutes of hot wash. Because I've gotten, I've got a lot of practice using these tools. But in the beginning, I didn't. So I had to analyze my day and think about my day. Oh, boy, I, I really could have used that tool there. And so for me to use these tools, I had to plaster them all over my life. I mean, literally uh, written on my, on, on my mirror in my bathroom in uh, dry erase ink or sometimes accidentally permanent ink. But literally like the stickers on our laptops. You were the first one to teach me the pause concept. So I have a sticker on my computer and it says pause. Everywhere around me I have these reminders. And I've been utilizing these tools and practicing these tools for a long time, yet I still need the visual help because I don't know about you, but I was at a point in my life where there was so much conflict going on where I just felt miserable inside and I didn't want it anymore. When you're willing to make changes because you want something different for yourself, there has to be different behaviors and actions that come along with it, and it takes practice. The late, great Jim Kelly, one of my dearest friends and mentors, no longer with us, taught me the concept of you have to slow down to go faster. I remember the first time he said that to me in the conference room where you and I first met. I was so mad at him because I was like, what the hell does that mean? Slow down to go faster. But now I get it all these years later. Sure. 15, almost 20 years later. Right? Sure. That's where all of these talking points today are pauses. They're all opportunities to slow down. Yep. That's the essence of all of it is right? pausing. Yeah. Because conflicts are just like automobile accidents. You're on your way to a lovely afternoon in the country doing something with your family, and boom, you get into a little fender bender. It's not a big accident, but oh, come on. Now this is going to take 45 minutes. we got to wait for the tow truck. i got to exchange the information. It slows us down. If we don't have that conflict, we're going to get to where we want to go faster. Right. It took me a long time to recognize that. Sure. If you're listening to this and you're kind of got the little squinty eye thing going like, hmm, I don't really know about this stuff, just give it a try. Yeah. You're here because you're open-minded and willing. So the pause, the slow down, conflict generally, at least my experience has been, is the result of reaction rather than responding. So if somehow we can learn to just pause for a minute, halt, wait, think, those are the acronyms that work for me. Maybe we should testify before Congress with these concepts. Ooh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Let's talk about handling criticism. There's another, another area of conflict, and it's this area of criticism, judgment. Oh, I'm very sensitive to this. Yeah? I like your hair. Criticism, thank you. Uh, that's not criticism. Oh. Criticism has always been coachability. As a CYO basketball coach, I'm looking for coachability. And the ability to give criticism back to a player, they may hear it as criticism, but it's actually coaching. That's another life skill, Beth, as you were talking about earlier, is your ability to receive feedback criticism, coaching, sure, is important. Well, but there's a difference there. I mean, there's coaching, there's offering feedback, there's ways to be constructive. You and I do that all the time. You and I have sat here in the in the studio and you and I have recorded episodes where after the episode you've looked at me and you've said lighten up, Francis, because I was taking this thing too seriously. And I didn't take that as criticism. I took that as constructive input. Well, because, you're a good student. I mean, you're coaching. Think I, of it as coaching. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've been practicing this stuff for a long time. Right. But then there is criticism. 
there are things we do where we are specifically criticizing somebody, and then we have to decide how we want to take that. If we are taking criticism, we can choose how we react to that. Who is criticism really all about? If, if somebody is criticizing me, you shouldn't have, you dirt, 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 and it's just overcritical. Who's that really all about? Mm. Cue the dark side music. Lucas, my son. Lucas, what are you doing? I can't believe you're failing your math class. That's awful. You're awful. You're a horrible student. You're not doing the work you need to do. I'm criticizing him. Who's that really all about? I think it's time for another acronym. Y O U. <laughs> there you go. Only it ain't an acronym, my friend. Right. That's about me. Right. And one of the things that I've learned is that when I am the recipient of criticism and my initial reaction is, oh, I'm feeling angry. Mine's halt. Oh, very good. I will pause and realize that that criticism that's coming to me really isn't about me. It's about you. It's about you projecting something you don't like about yourself on someone else. And just having that knowledge and awareness helps me not react. Aha! as they would say. Exactly. It's that aha moment where I don't react. That's perfect. I can't add to that. Well said. I'm, I'm thinking. Another way that it's been presented to me is if I'm pointing my finger at you, I've got three fingers got three, pointed three, right three, back three at me. Three coming right back at me. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm pointing my finger at you, whether it's my index finger, my middle finger, my ring finger, there's, or my pinky. There's three firing right back. There's three firing right back at me. Beautiful. Let's get to the resentment piece, because I think that's really important. I want to get there, but there's one last thing on, on criticism and judgment. When you finally learn— Are you judging me? Uh-huh. Always. I always judge you. It's up to you how you handle that. <laughs> when you finally learn that a person's behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn an incredible concept. Grace. And conflict begins to disappear from your life. Insert peace. Insert calmness. Whatever your favorite word is for joy, serenity. Joy, serenity. Yeah. All right, let's talk about resentments. The last piece of conflict. Yeah. So if this is the relationship killer, what are some tips, tricks, or hopefully there's another acronym we can come up with that help either avoid the resentment or dissolve it? I think we're out of acronyms. We've okay. used all our acronyms. You're right about something. I mean, resentments for me have been these internal fires that just eat us alive from the inside out. For me, I've had to get rid of them or they're going to destroy all the most significant relationships that I have. How do I deal with resentment? The first thing that I've had to deal with, you asked me, you know, how, how do we get rid of these resentments? Somebody does something to me and I have a resentment over that. Right. You can either put it in the wagon. And carry it with and me. And carry it with you every day. Or I can do something with it. Right. The first thing that I try to do with every resentment, I try to find my part. As it, we would say in Five to Thrive. I own it. You own it. Right. And now you have an opportunity to fix it. Thank you. I had a situation with a former business partner where I carried a resentment towards this business partner for a long, long time. This business partner did wrong by me. This business partner brought a whole bunch of messy stuff from the personal life into the work life, and it affected the work life in a very, very negative way to the point that I separated from this partnership. I carried resentments over how this person brought this into our workplace as well as how it affected our clients. 
well beyond the point at which the business relationship was over. Years after the business relationship was so over. So you had stuffed it way down in that backpack. Way down. And every time I thought about this person, I would feel this just burning, gnawing, in my gut, anger, dislike, almost hatred. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Venom. Yeah, it was venomous. And, you know, when somebody said to me, well, a friend of mine said, well, what's your part? What, how'd you contribute to this? I looked at him like he was nuts. I didn't have anything to do with this. It was all on that person. And he asked me again, what was your part? So I thought, and I thought, and I did a little writing. And what I realized was, was my part, I had two parts in it. First part was I let it happen. I just, I let it happen. I didn't establish a boundary right from the get-go, and I let it happen. You didn't say no more. I didn't say no when it started happening. The second thing that was my part was I started feeling a sense of, I'm better than you. You brought this in. I'm better than you. I don't need to be here anymore. That's something we call false pride. I'm no better than anybody else. How many mistakes have I made in my life? How many bad choices and bad decisions have I made in my life? And here I am pointing my finger at somebody else. Three fingers pointed right back at me, and I've got this horrible resentment gnawing at me. Now, if you look at the whole picture, my former business partner probably had 90% of why I felt this resentment, but I was able to find a little part in it that I actually had, and I was able to do something about it. After years of not communicating with this old business partner— You emptied out the backpack. I emptied out my backpack. You found it. And I went, and I had a conversation with this former business partner. Did you text them or something on, like, Instagram? Called. Picked up the phone. You pick, You actually spoke with that person? A telephone call. Wow. I'd like to come see you. What would you like to come see me about? I did some things wrong on my way out the door that I'd like to own and fix. I'd like to make it right. There was silence like that. Sure. I'm a little on my heels just thinking about it. That takes tremendous courage on your part. It takes courage on that person's part to be open to it, not just yeah. slam the phone down on you. Well, and th this is a person that totally wronged me. There was very little I had to do with this, but I knew that this resentment that I had towards this person was gnawing at me and eating at me, and I was projecting that resentment on other people. I wasn't even aware of it, but I would think about this person, it would get me angry, and then I'd turn and bite your head off because of it. So it was Yeah, it was causing damage. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't halting. I, I'm going to use that word a lot now. You should. I love it. That's a powerful story, and I think for... All of us listening, we're probably in our own head thinking of some story or tale or situation where there's resentment that's been festering that needs to go. Mm -hmm. And may we all have the grace to do what you did. Sure. Thank you. What happens when we don't have a part in it? Then it gets more challenging. What happens if somebody keyed my car in a parking lot? Do I have a part in that? I guess I put my car in the parking lot. There's my part in it. So I did contribute to it. But if, if literally I can't think of a single thing that I did or that put me in this situation to cause this resentment, now what do I do? Now I have a choice. I can carry it with me for the rest of my life in my little red radio flyer behind me or my backpack like Richard would, or I could use this really cool thing called forgiveness. Is forgiveness forgetting? Not at all. Well, the reason I'm pausing is I'm, I've got a story in my head that I was thinking of as you were talking about that. So we went on vacation a number of years ago. 2016, we oh, went to Toto's house. house. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you guys went. And our house was about 1,000 yards from the beach, and we like to go down to the beach at sunset. So there's 10 of us back when you could have 10 people 
in a room together doing something. Sure, holding hands, singing kumbaya. And we're walking to the beach, and uh, there was a sign that said, please leave shoes here. So we all take our flip-flops off. We go down into this absolutely spectacular beach. We're there for over an hour. It turns out the tortuga, the, the little sea turtles, yeah, are hatching, and you can participate, and you can hatch one, and you can watch it struggle on its way into the ocean. And it's just an incredible experience for our family. And as we're coming back, we're all, I mean, this was just so fun in the sunset. And we're, and we're going to go back. We're going to have a lovely dinner. And we come back to the beach and we're going to get it. The flip-flops were gone. Oh, no. And everybody very quickly got very upset. Now, I was the lucky one. I got a short leg. So I wear two flip-flops because one is a little thicker than the other to make up for my short-leggedness. And my one flip-flop is there. It's the only one. Your one thick flip-flop. 19 flip-flops are missing, but the one that I need for the short leg is there. Is there. Wow. So we're walking back, and I don't, I don't remember who said it. I might, I, I might have said it, but somebody said, you know, maybe they needed the flip-flops more than we did. You said it. Of course you said it. That's a total Jim Gebhardt thing to say. There we go. Well, and he That's also a compliment. Had, That's well, a compliment. he also had one of his two flip-flops, so of exactly. course it's easy for him Actually, to say it. Actually, he was better off than the rest. Uh, we found my <laughs> other flip-flop in the shrubs uh, about 20 feet away as we were walking back. So I was the only one that had flip-flops the rest of the vacation. Did anybody who was there with you— say, I'm not forgiving people for this stuff. They did this to me. There's no way I could let that go. Came and went. Came, Came and went. Came and went. There were moments of it, and then it went away, and it was like, yeah, maybe they did need those flip-flops more yeah. than we did. Well, so think of, obviously, that's not the most egregious thing that could have happened to you with It your is family. when you're on a beach vacation. I understand, but you were in Mexico. I what, could think of a few things what, that could have been What, am I going to wear my Alan Edmonds around the, the pool? <laughs> I could think of a few things in Mexico that could have gone worse than losing your freaking flip-flops. I know. You called me at 2 a.m. once when that (laughs) happened. Who's forgiveness for? Who's it really all about? If you wrong me, is the forgiveness, if me forgiving you really about you, is it for you? I guess based on how you're asking me the question, the answer is no. Well, you could say yes. Your eminence. Yeah, you could say yes, and then I would criticize you. It's not for you. When I went to my old business partner— to say I'm sorry, what I was really doing was figuring out a way to forgive that old business partner. By getting rid of my stuff and owning my part, it allowed me to forgive my old business partner for what my business partner did to me. And it wasn't about my business partner. It was about me. It was about giving me relief from the resentment that was bottled up inside of me and eating me from the inside out. And then that's also closure for you. Yes. Yes. And then you can move on. Well, it makes room for new resentments. It does for us to go through this process all over again. You can only carry so much. But we've all, I mean, all three of us, all three of us have had stuff happen to us, really bad stuff where people have mistreated us in really, really bad ways. And I know personally, I've held on to that resentment because gosh darn it, there's no way I'm giving you forgiveness. But when I realize that the forgiveness really isn't for you, it's for me. Because forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not saying that what you did to me is okay. What forgiveness does is it lets me heal from the resentment that I've been carrying around that's been causing me to project that resentment on my most important people, which is screwing up my relationships. Right. Resentment is the killer of all relationships. Powerful. Yes. We've talked about a lot. I mean, conflict's inevitable. We've talked about avoiding it. If we can't avoid it, how we deal with it, how we resolve it, 
We've had some great acronyms today. We've talked about handling criticism and judgment. You bet. And then the ultimate relationship killer resentments. Imagine what this could do for your money. If you were able to let go of conflicts, if you didn't step into the gorilla cage, if you had tools in your tool bag to help you pause and deal with the criticism or the judgment or the resentment that was festering, what impact would that have on your money? Well, for me, it would probably keep me from impulsive purchases. I mean, so much of how I used to medicate myself when I was dealing with these resentments that were building up inside of me was I'd go spend money on something. Needfully, wastefully. Completely wastefully. Right. And our whole 10-10-10 concept is really just a different packaging of halt, wait, think. It's pausing. Yes. So if we're able to not have these resentments that build up and that we're carrying in the wagon, the energy, we talk so much about energy and confidence. What does the world look like if there isn't so much judgment and resentment? What does that mean for the relationships and the the human connection that we have with people? How much closer, how much more love is in the air? I hate to use an old saying, but how much love would re-enter the conversation if resentment wasn't there? Right. This is absolutely very, very powerful, powerful stuff that we've talked about today in the context of not just how does it repair the relationships with your people, but how ultimately it can help repair the relationship with your money. Beth, I appreciate you being here for it today. Thank you for having me. It's fun having you in the studio. I don't have any resentment over that. <laughs> well, Glad I'm, to know. I'm guessing the car ride home is going to be filled with a little bit of yes. criticism and judgment. So no, it, no. Def- no. Definitely a couple more acronyms. Oh, perfect. We'll come up with those. Awesome. I can't wait. That is a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.